Any views and opinions expressed are those of the authors and or participants and do not necessarily reflect the views, policy, or position of the Rheumatology and Arthritis Learning Network or HMP Global, its employees and affiliates. Welcome to this podcast from the Rheumatology and Arthritis Learning Network. I'm your moderator, Rebecca Mashaw. Today, we're talking with Dr. Matthew Baker, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Stanford University in Palo Alto, California, about his research into the incidence of interstitial lung disease among patients with rheumatoid arthritis who have been treated with biologic and targeted synthetic DMARDs. Thanks very much for joining us and telling us about your research. This sounds very interesting. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what led you to choose this topic of whether the risk of ILD among patients with with rheumatoid arthritis is modified by treatment with various types of DMARDs? Yeah, so ILD affects a small but significant proportion of of patients with rheumatoid arthritis and can be really devastating for for a subset of those patients. And at this point, we really don't have clear guidelines on how to treat patients with RA who develop ILD. And this study didn't directly address that question, um, which is a much harder question to answer with retrospective claims data, um, which we use for this study. Uh, So instead, we we asked a question that, that is more answerable using this type of data, which is looking at whether the treatment then maybe prevents the onset of ILD. And our hope was that you know, we would see a positive signal there and that that might lead to additional studies, interventional studies, prospective studies, to see if, if this could actually be helpful for understanding how to better treat patients. How significant is that risk of ILD among patients with RA? You said it's a small but significant number. Yeah, it, it depends on the study that you look at. There, you know, most of this is really based on observational data, and it's been reported 10 up to as high as 30% of patients with RA. And other observational studies have shown that the risk of death in patients with RA and ILD is about three times higher than, than patients with RA without ILD. And in our own practice here, you know, we've seen patients need to go for lung transplant, for instance, because the the fibrosis in the lungs progresses to the point where where they really can't function. And so, you know, right now we're, you know, many groups are sort of in the process of studying this more prospectively, which is always a more accurate way to really get a sense of, of how many patients are affected and what those risk factors are. So what did your research reveal? What did you find out? Yeah, so this, so in our study, we used a, a claims database. So, you know, we're limited in the sense that this is not looking at individual charts where we, you know, can really understand exactly what's happening with each individual patient. Um, however, the benefit is that we can look at, you know, many thousands, tens of thousands of patients all at once. Um, so we use the Optum database, um, which is de identified claims data, and looked over a period of about 16 years. And we included patients over the age of 18 with kind of a standard claims-based definition of rheumatoid arthritis based on the diagnosis codes in in the data set, as well as receiving a medicine um, that really would be pretty specific to RA. So we feel pretty confident that we're looking at real patients with RA. And we, we looked at patients 
who had at least one year of, of enrollment in the data set before they received uh, one of the medicines we were interested in. And that allowed us to, to know that it was uh, a new start for that medicine. And also uh, in that year prior, we could exclude patients who already had interstitial lung disease because you know, we're interested in seeing who develops it after the start of the treatment. And so then we basically followed those patients. And um, fortunately, other uh, groups have done very nice work to, to define how you can identify interstitial lung disease in patients with RA using data sets like this. And they've validated that and it has a very high specificity. So we used their methods um, to then look for patients who developed ILD in basically all the follow-up time we had after starting the treatment. And so we ultimately what we found, and, and so the treatments that we looked at were sort of the major, one major drug from each class of either biologic or targeted synthetic DMR. And so we looked at adalimumab or Humira, which was, is the most commonly prescribed TNF inhibitor in our group, abitacept, rituximab, tocilizumab, or Actemra, which is the most common IL-6 inhibitor, and then tofacitinib, which um, you know, has the earliest approval, so it's been around since 2012, so there's um, the most follow-up data for that JAK inhibitor. And what we found was that if you just looked at the crude incidence rates of developing ILD across those different treatment groups per 1,000 patient years, there was a significant difference between the groups, and, and tofacitinib had the, the lowest incidence rate of developing ILD. Those are just crude rates, and so they don't take into account lots of other variables that might influence that number. And so, more importantly, we, we use Cox uh, proportional hazard models, where we adjusted for things like age, sex, race, ethnicity, uh, education, geographic region, comorbidities, um, outpatient visit frequency, which can affect you know how different claims might get get listed, and then also concomitant immunosuppressive medication use, which is important because if they're all on different amounts of methotrexate or steroids, that could have an effect as well. So after we kind of plugged all that into the model and adjusted, the same general result came out, which was that there was a reduced risk of developing interstitial lung disease in the patients who were treated with tofacitinib, and, and it equated to about a 69% reduced risk compared to patients on uh, being treated with its, with adalimumab, which was the reference group for, for all the comparisons. So that's a substantial reduction in risk at 69%. But now we're bumping up against the oral surveillance study and some of the things that came out of that, which was in part a black box warning on not just TOFA, but also on upadacitinib as well, and on any JAK inhibitors probably that will come along. And that was primarily because of the adverse events that were found among patients with RA. Now, that group tended to be somewhat older, and they were already had at least one pre-existing risk factor for cardiovascular disease, as I recall. Mm -hmm. So with all of that information, so you've got the additional risk that's been identified, but then you have this substantial reduction in risk of a very devastating complication of RA in terms of ILD. So how do you balance that? What, what particular risks do you think JAK inhibitors really present for these patients? And have you seen anything in your own practice 
that alleviates some some concern about whether JAK inhibitors are safe for this group? It's a great question and one that I think everybody in rheumatology continues to grapple with and and governing bodies and probably regulatory bodies too, because it's uh, there's a lot to unpack in in all of the studies that have been done, the the oral surveillance trial, and then multiple post hoc analyses of that study, as well as real world data that that mostly recapitulates, but but some that don't because it's you know looking at different patients. So I think yeah, just to kind of reiterate your point, the the oral surveillance study was was a phase four post-marketing study that was meant to be a non-inferiority study to, to see if, if tofacitinib was non-inferior to either adalimumab or canercept with regard to uh, you know, major adverse cardiovascular events and malignancies. Um, and, and as you mentioned, the patients who were enrolled had at least one cardiovascular risk factor. So either current cigarette smoker, hypertension, uh, dyslipidemia, diabetes, family history of early heart disease, um, extra articular RA, which puts patients at a higher risk of heart heart disease, um, or just known coronary artery disease. So I would say, you know, many of our patients do have one of those risk factors, but there's certainly many that don't. And so it doesn't necessarily apply to all of our patients. And, and the punchline, as you said, was that, you know, there, there was uh, definitely a, a trend towards increased risk of, of major adverse cardiovascular events and, and then a significant increase in, in new cancers in the patients treated with tofacitinib compared to, to one of the TNF inhibitors. And so, you know, based on that, the American College of Rheumatology sort of put out some, some basic guidance that, that says it should be a shared decision-making between patients and providers. And, and the European Medicines Agency actually issued a communication sort of advising against first-line use of JAK inhibitors. So I think, you know, based on that now, I think for many people in practice, JAK inhibitors are, are probably less commonly used as first-line therapy, given these newly understood risks and reserved for, for maybe second or third line. And, and also, you know, now we know from some of the post hoc analyses that it, it appears the largest risk is really in patients over the age of 65 or with extensive long-term smoking history, either current or past. So for that population, we tried to avoid it. So I think, you know, to answer your question, it's, it's certainly complicated. I think there's still a good reason to use JAK inhibitors in a number of patients, and I think it can be done appropriately with, with the right counseling and, and discussion. And then there's probably a subset of patients where it should be avoided. And in the future, as it relates directly to this study, I think if we had very strong evidence and data that said, you know, X patients have a, a very high risk of developing ILD, um, you know, one could make the case that it would be worth the potential risk to avert that consequence. So it's all about risk-benefit balance. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and shared decision-making with the patient for sure. And that seems to be the rule across all of these autoimmune diseases that shared decision-making is essential when you're deciding what kind of path you're going to follow for treatment and making sure your patient's comfortable with the risks and understands the balance. That seems to be just a given these days. Yeah, that's right. If a patient's already showing signs that they're developing ILD, 
is it still feasible to try treatment with tofacidinib if they haven't been on it for their arthritis? Right. I think, I mean, our study provided no data to support this there, there, because again, we didn't study it in, in a treatment aspect, but you know, there are very small case reports or case series that have shown benefit in a small number of patients with RAILD, as well as a few other autoimmune rheumatic diseases like dermatomyositis, which also can develop ILD as a consequence. So I, you know, I think that's, that's really the million dollar question that we don't know is if a patient, as soon as you sort of identify ILD developing in a patient with RA, what is the best therapy to put them on? And I think, you know, based on not a lot of data, I think people have sort of historically thought maybe rituximab or maybe abatacept. And so that, I think those are commonly used. That's also why it's very hard to, to study it retrospectively with claims data, because these decisions often get made already and, and there's kind of confounding by indication. So, but I think based on what we know thus far, it would be very reasonable to, to switch that patient to a JAK inhibitor to see. We just don't know. Fortunately, there actually are two prospective studies uh, and you know going on right now one in Mexico and one in Sweden um they're small and open label relatively small but not too small and and so you know maybe that will provide some additional evidence that ILD may improve with with tofacitinib treatment so there's still a lot to dig out about this yeah definitely yeah much more to do it's it's way too early to say this should be the treatment but so what steps do you think a practicing rheumatologist who has patients with RA should be taking in terms of monitoring them for cardiovascular illnesses, for early signs of ILD, but these patients being treated with tofacidinib or perhaps upadacidinib, what should they be looking for? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first part of the question in terms of screening for ILD is there's no guidelines right now on whether RA patients should be screened for ILD, and if so, how. And um, there are a number of studies that are working on that. So there's a study out of uh, Mass General Brigham by Jeff Sparks called SAIL RA, where they're following patients and over five years and getting chest x-rays and, and CTs and other things to sort of see, to maybe hopefully develop some parameters around how patients should be screened. And there's another 1,200 patient study that's sponsored by uh, Boring Engelman that's looking, you know, again, prospectively following patients to determine, hopefully determine risk factors and things like that. So TBD on, on really how best to sort of monitor for the ILD. In terms of the, the risks associated with JAK inhibitors, again, there's also not guidelines, but I think, you know, given that we, the two things that we're worried about are cardiovascular and, and malignancy, um, certainly making sure your patients have age-appropriate cancer screening is, is critical. So, you know, for, the, for patients who are older, getting colonoscopies, getting, you know, prostate cancer studies, getting, you know, mammograms, et cetera. And then sort of, you know, usually in conjunction with the primary care, kind of optimizing the, you know, risk mitigation for things that are intervenable. So if a patient has hypertension, making sure that's treated. If they have dyslipidemia, making sure that's treated. Kind of all the modifiable risk factors should be dealt with. So are you going to continue research yourself into this topic? And is is the efficacy of upadacidinib also being investigated in the context of some of these new studies? 
Yeah, I so we would love to do additional follow-up studies, particularly looking at upadacitinib, which has had a large uptake. The issue there is that it was approved in August of 2019, and so we don't have a long enough follow-up time yet to determine how many patients will potentially develop ILD. So we need a little more time to elapse where there's been a, a large uptake of, of upadacitinib use. Um, but I think we're, we're interested in doing that study. And, and I think these uh, observational studies and prospective studies right now are focused on tofacitinib, but uh, I imagine they'll, they'll also you know, expand to, to other JAK inhibitors in the future. Well, this is really interesting. It's going to be fascinating to see how these prospective studies uh, turn out, the kind of information that, that you glean from that. So we look forward to talking with you about this again in the future. That's great. Yeah, thanks for having me.